0: as has already been mentioned, last Sunday we remembered those who have died, both recently and a long time ago. We created right here an altar of remembrance with our photos and other symbols of our loved ones. And now this week, we begin a month with our worship theme of grief and mourning, which we actually started doing last week, right? And I wonder if you, some of you are thinking, that's a lot of grief. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking too much grief. Grief. One of my mentors in ministry, Reverend Mark Bellatini, he had a long and beautiful ministry in Columbus, Ohio until he retired, but before that he served in San Francisco in the height of the AIDS crisis, ministering to men, some of them his friends, who were dying from that awful disease and of course ministering to their loved ones and family members too. Years later, Mark said some words that I've never forgotten. He said, a portion of every day can be productively spent in grieving. A portion of every day. He's talking about actively engaging with the losses of our lives. As opposed to packing them away, trying to forget about them as if we could, as if that is even possible. When we consider grief, most of us probably think first about our beloveds who have died. And that is a particularly acute kind of grief, isn't it? which takes time and work to live with on a schedule that is not your own. Grief takes its own time. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And there are other things in our lives that we could grieve. The end of a relationship. The bitter disappointment of a betrayal the loss of hope, the realization that you are mortal. And when you get to a certain age, the realization that most of your life is behind you. The decline eventually of health and vitality. The awareness that in this life you aren't going to get everything that you long for. How many of us are grieving in these days for all the suffering and loss of life in Gaza? For the pain and destruction and violence being done in the name of peace and of justice and of God? What about the violence and the trauma in our own country? The dysfunction in our own families? and in our society, don't we have so much that we could grieve? One could spend part of each day productively in grief. And you might say, but why would I do that? Life is sad enough and hard enough already. Why make myself even more depressed? Because, dear ones, grief comes to us whether we want it to or not. You can try to banish it, but tell me if I'm wrong. It will keep coming back, won't it? Visiting you in your thoughts and in your dreams, perhaps even showing up in your body too. Grief is an invitation and a demand that we look at the brokenness and the pain in our lives. That we tell the truth that we are hurting and suffering, that we have plenty to mourn. You know, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. Mark Bellatini wrote an essay about his experience of grief, particularly back during the AIDS crisis, and how exhausting it was. He said, sobbing takes it out of you physically, it works the muscles and alters the breath. It tires the bones. The whole effort to focus on the ordinary needs of life, food, laundry, and so forth, in the midst of grief can feel as though you had just spent three hours running or lifting weights. I deliberately made taking naps as much a part of my day as eating supper or brushing my teeth. He concludes, grief has often worn me out while restoring me to myself at the same time. But the one does not seem to come without the other. In my own experience, grief opens me up and it pushes me down down to my knees, down to the ground. It forces me to slow down and stop, whether I want to or not. And there I can hear the voice of the holy. It's what the choir sang, that ancient wisdom from the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. I recently heard a story on the radio told by a woman named Heather Harper. She was thrilled to be expecting another child, but one day she didn't feel the baby moving and so she went for an ultrasound and her worst fears were confirmed, that there was no heartbeat, her little baby had died. After she gave birth to him, they named him Desmond and had a small graveside service to bury his body. Heather says the weeks that followed were the hardest of her life, but eventually she forced herself to leave the house and one of the first places she went was to church. She says, Many people were afraid to speak to me or look at me because they didn't know what to say. One Sunday, I was so overwhelmed that I stepped out of the chapel and I sat down on a sofa in the foyer just to be alone for a few minutes. Not long after this, a woman came out and sat on the opposite end of the sofa. We didn't speak to each other or even look at one another. In the silence between us there in the foyer, without looking at me, she said in a loud and clear voice, My baby died 35 years ago, and not a day has gone by that I haven't thought of her. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you are grieving for too long. Heather continues, I was too shocked and overcome to speak. All I could do was nod. Her words were what I needed to hear in that moment of my life. I needed to know that I would never be the same again, and that it was normal to be that way, that I wasn't broken, that there was nothing wrong with grief, no matter how long it lasted. And most of all, she let me know that I wasn't alone. This is why I love the church and still believe in the church, not because we have all the answers, but because we promise to hold open a space where we can see and hear and companion one another where we can be present to one another even when we don't know what to say. Grief pushes us down and it opens us up. It reminds us of what really matters. It can cause us to draw closer to one another. It can help us to lean on one another and also to lean on god on that spirit in which we live and move and have our being like we just sang precious lord take my hand lead me on let me stand i am tired i am weak i am worn anybody tired or weak Kate Braystrup is a UU minister and chaplain for the Maine Warden Service. She's often the person who gets called to notify the next of kin when their loved one has died in the woods or in the waters of that state. She says that when people hear this terrible news, they almost always end up on the floor. She says a vitally important part of her work and ministry is helping people get to the floor safely. And then she stays there on the floor with them, accompanying them. And then Kate says something she's learned. After a while, people get up. They always get up. This is what we do. We go through life being brought to the ground and then getting back up. Being hollowed out by sadness, and loss, and then allowing and inviting some hope, some joy to come into our lives and into our broken, open hearts. Isn't it perfect? Isn't it wonderful that on this day when we are opening up to grief, we're about to throw a party? This is what we do, right? And we need to celebrate, don't we? I'm reminded of the gatherings that often follow funerals, where we embrace and tell stories, where we eat and laugh we affirm that life is good and that life is still in us. This is what we do. We get pushed down, we get opened up and still we rise. Through it all, we are held and companioned, held up by human care and love, held up and companioned by the grace of God. And so we carry on, and so we carry on, ever singing, ever singing our songs of grace and love and thanks and praise. Alleluia and Amen.